Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dear Katie, where survivors of sexual assault, rape, and abuse share their stories from hurt to healing. I'm your host, Katie Kessner. When I was age 18, I appeared on the cover of Time Magazine to speak out nationally and really internationally as a victim of acquaintance rape. And since then, I've dedicated my entire life, my career, all of my energy to helping survivors and really raising awareness around sexual assault, ultimately to end sexual violence in all forms. In this episode of Dear Katie, Claire Kaplan and I speak with Lexi. Like many teens, Lexi didn't even recognize that she was being abused by her boyfriend until she shared what was happening. And her friends gave her that reality check. So she speaks about what exactly happened and her healing journey with all the highs and all the lows, how her parents were not supportive and sometimes could even be hurtful, and how moving on from this long-term violent relationship was not easily done, uh, but she is still on that powerful path of healing. Welcome to the Dear Katie podcast. This is Katie Kessner, and we are so pleased to be joined by my co-host, Claire. Hey, everyone. Um, This is Claire Kaplan. And before we get started, as always, I just want to let you all know that the content of this podcast can be stressful or even triggering for some folks. So if you need any support while listening to it, be sure to take, uh, take a break or get that support before, after, during, whatever you need. And at the end of the podcast, we'll give you a website address where you can find resources. Thank you so much, Claire. I'm so pleased today we are welcoming Lexi. Lexi, thank you for sharing your story, your journey with our listeners, our subscribers. I know it's going to be incredibly powerful. And I just wanted to start by getting to know you a little bit and sharing, you know, for our our survivors listening to you, you're currently at Wayne State. You're studying vocal performance and music education, and you are 20 years old. So what we're going to talk about happened to you at 17 in high school in Nebraska. Lexi, you you have this sort of, you know, blooming relationship, blossoming relationship. And at what point did things start to change? I'm assuming that it got sort of more intense uh, emotionally and sexually, and then eventually it started changing in a negative way. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So basically month three, we started to get really intimate and um, things were, I mean, we didn't actually have sex or anything for the first six months. And then at about six months, we decided we wanted to try, but it was super awkward like one and done kind of thing it wasn't really sex I guess um so not particularly pleasant yeah yeah um often happens for the first time yeah so I just kind of was like okay well you know it's fine um and we didn't really have an opportunity to have sex like full-on sex a lot because of our parents being like super nosy and strict but you know we would do different things like dry humping and oral sex and those kinds of things. And um, things started to go south at about one year. He's just started to change um, 
he was a lot more angry all the time. He was really, really selfish all the time. Like it was all about him and it was about what he wanted. So can you talk a little bit about what that, what that looked like? I mean, in terms of when you say it was all about him, was it, you would talk about things you wanted to do, but he wasn't interested in what you wanted or how did that, how did that translate? It wasn't even sexually per se that he was selfish. It was just in our everyday relationship. I would want to talk to him and all he would want to do is have sex. And like, he didn't want to talk to me. He didn't really want anything emotionally like we had for a year. It's just kind of like he turned himself completely off to feelings and he was just a jerk all the time. Like if I didn't do anything he wanted to do, then he would just lash out at me and manipulate me to make me feel bad and to make me do what I wanted him to do. Like he would throw fits until I, you know, would give in and do what he wanted or, um, he would say, he would call me like a stupid bitch and things like that. And looking back now, I don't know why I let myself put up with that, but I was just really scared to get out of that situation. So let me ask you a couple of other questions. Did he, was he jealous of your friends? Did he not like you to be hanging out with your friends and family? Yeah. Yeah. It got really toxic to the point where I lost all of my friends and my family hated him. They wanted me to break up with him, but I just couldn't. I tried and I just, he kept manipulating me into coming back And it was just like, he didn't want to spend time with me, but he also didn't want me to spend time with anyone else either. Mm -hmm. So he was isolating you, essentially. And did he also, um, well, it sounds like he was sort of gaslighting you when you say manipulating. Did he ever ever do a thing where you might have gotten upset or he had done something hurtful, emotionally hurtful, and then somehow it suddenly became about him being the victim? Did you see that happening? Yeah, it was all the time. I felt like I couldn't have any emotions. Like I knew that, you know, when he would call me a stupid bitch and things like that, I knew that, like I knew deep down I had the right to be upset and I knew that wasn't okay. But whenever I would bring it up, he would just be like, well, no, you're making me feel bad because I accidentally said that out of anger. And now, you know, you're making me feel bad for something that I didn't mean to say. And like, he, yeah, he would always make it feel like it was my fault somehow. Okay. Thank you for, for that. Um, I think there's probably a lot of folks listening who will recognize those patterns, um, which is pretty typical in, in an abusive relationship. Um, pretty common. So things are going sour and you were feeling bad and it sounds like you were trying to find ways to get out of it, but you just kept getting sucked back in again. What was it that sucked you back in? So after our relationship went south after a year, I stayed with him for two more years after that. So we were together for a total of three years, but two of those years were just the worst I've ever, the worst years of my life, honestly. And it, like whenever I would be away from him for even a day, and I thought to myself about how he was treating me, and like I was away from him, I, you know, started to realize he's treating me like crap and I shouldn't be putting up with this. And again, my mom despised him. She did not like him at all. She saw how he was treating me and she would be like, 
you if you think you need to if you think you're strong enough to get out of this then please do it and I always always try to talk to him and it got to the point where I couldn't do it in person at all because I would just get really scared because again his mom was like way too invested into our relationship and her son could do no wrong um so when I tried to talk to her about everything that he was doing she was just like, well, he's a grown teenager and he, you know, sometimes you do things to provoke him. And she was just like, not on my side at all. And I was being manipulated by her too, all of the time. And every time I I had to just call him when I was away from him for a day and I had to be like, I don't, I can't do this anymore. I can't let you talk to me like that. I can't let you manipulate me like this anymore. And he would again, turn it around and make it, me feel like I was the bad guy for even saying or thinking those things and he'd be like I'll I'll try and when he wasn't making himself the victim he would be like oh well I'll try it won't happen again just those like empty promises and I just kept wanting to believe that he would change and that things would change but they never did is that what sucked you in when he would make those promises yeah Mm mm-hmm and that's, I guess, in a way, you know, just to give it some scope, you know, the, the when when people, it's really not just women, but when people are in relationships where they're being manipulated and abused, their their biggest failing is being hopeful, you know, hope and kindness. And it's used against, you know, it's it's like it's used as a weapon by an abusive person. You, you know, he said he promised to change and you hoped that he would, right? And it's even though you probably wanted to get the hell out of there. And so, yeah, that's so hard. That's so hard. So eventually you did get free of, of this relationship. What what finally was the final straw for you? What happened? Well, um, it actually was COVID hit. And so, you know, we were all in quarantine and lockdown. But my parents uh, allowed me to have my friend Andrew and my friend Anessa. They would stay with me during the week. So I wouldn't lose my mind because I needed human contact. And basically one night, my friend, Andrew, his dad was kind of abusive to him. And my dad knew about it. And one night it had just gotten really bad between Andrew and his dad. And so my dad offered to let Andrew stay at our house. Um, So Andrew was staying in the living room and then my friend Anessa was with me and she's a female Um, Andrew's a male. So Anessa was downstairs with me and we just, I tried to call Eric to tell him that um, Andrew was going to spend the night with us just so he didn't find out and think anything, you know, inappropriate happened. Um, But he had put his phone up for the night. So I didn't get a chance to tell him before bed. But like I said, Andrew was in a different room. It was a different situation. It wasn't just him staying over for fun. And my dad's the one who wanted him to stay. So when I woke up in the morning, I had a bunch of calls and texts from Eric and missed calls and then texting like, how could you do this to me? You're being a stupid whore. How could you let another guy stay at your house? Like all of these just horrible messages. And Andrew and Anessa saw them and they were like, you can't let him talk to you like this. Like, does he do this all the time? Like, and they knew that he didn't treat me the best, but like they hadn't seen the full extent of it. And they were just like, you, you can't let him do this to you anymore. And 
um, I hadn't seen him for like a week or so. And so I was, you know, away from him for long enough that I was like, you know, I know you're right, but like, I don't know what to do. And so I called him and I was like, I can't let you treat me like this anymore. I'm seriously done. I'm done. This isn't, you, you can't get me to come back. You can't manipulate me. I, I have to end this right now. And he tried to manipulate me again, but my friends took my phone and hung up and they just had my phone the whole night. Yeah. They had to physically take my phone away so I wouldn't talk to him. And they just, I don't remember the exact questions they asked me, but they started to ask me like, has he ever, um, cause they, they knew that, um, we had been together sexually and they would just, they asked, has, they would ask about it. And I remember telling them, well, I would give in to doing whatever he wanted to, because otherwise he'd be mad at me. And they're like, that's assault. And I was like, mm-hmm. no, like my brain, I didn't know. I didn't, my brain wasn't processing it. And then I would, I told them that sometimes we would start doing things consensually and it would start to hurt. And I told him to stop because it hurt and he would just keep doing it. And they were like, that's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's assault. You, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess that's when my brain finally woke up and I was like, Oh, it's like, I've been assaulted for two years now and I didn't even know. And do you feel like that he got your brain into such a twist that reality, like what was up was down and down was up. And it sounds like your friends were your reality check. And if, you know, it's interesting how peers or people you care about and friends, if they can do that you know, as friends with love, it's almost easier to hear than say if your parents had been doing that, right? It may have been Mm -hmm. harder for you to hear that. So yay for your friends. They were your reality check. So that was your wake up. So, okay. So the day passed, you, they took away your phone. Eventually you got your phone back. I'm sure. Did he, did you have about 10,000 messages and texts from him? Yeah. And every time I wanted to text them, they would just be there and we went out for ice cream and stuff and they were just getting my mind off of it. And honestly, I'm grateful for the pandemic because I didn't have to see him. Like I couldn't see him because of quarantine. And so I think that's what finally, you know, gave me the strength to not go back because, you know, not actually being able to go back physically. Mm -hmm. Like, so I, I'm really grateful for that, honestly. You know, that's so interesting to hear this because we know of those of us who work in this, in this, do this work, that the pandemic has been disastrous for many people who are in abusive relationships or even like queer kids who are, had to go back and live with their parents who were not helpful. But also, you know, mostly for abused kids and abused partners who were then trapped in the home with the abuser. And this is the other side of the coin of that of the pandemic where it enabled you to get free of him because you couldn't see him and gave you some space, which is really interesting to me. And, and well, yay for that. You know, I wonder if that was true for other people as well. It'd be interesting to know. So you managed to get free of him and then did he move on or whatever became of all that? 
to we tried to be friends um for a while after that um but one of my friends he and I started to get I don't know I was in a really bad place emotionally because I was just like like coping with what had happened to me and I just Mm -hmm. wanted to lash out and uh one of my guy friends became interested in me and I don't think I was really interested in him but I made myself think I was um and so we started like hanging out and dating and stuff and so Eric and I had been trying to be friends um about a month after everything had happened um and then he found out that I was dating this new guy and he freaked out on me and was like, well, I thought we were going to get back together and like just freaking out on me. And, um, I just, I was like, I can't, I can't be your friend anymore. If you're going to be like this, like I thought we established that we're not going to be in a relationship because it was toxic. And like I said, it was really hard for me to let go of him completely. That's why I was trying to be his friend. And um, so, so I the, just... Yeah, in the time... I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah, in the okay. time... So you dated this guy briefly, but I guess that didn't work out. So so how did you get to the place where you are now in a... Where you, I mean, a healthy relationship, it sounds like, one that, that is positive. How did you get from that place where you were in a dark place and you were feeling so much anger and you were obviously had some kind of, you know, you're dealing with the trauma of two years of trauma, of assaults and, and, you know, emotional abuse. How did you get from there to where you are now? What, what did you do? So it's been a process and I'm still working on it, but, um, after quarantine and all of that, you know, I actually got to go to college last year. We had masks, masks and all these requirements, but um, I'm really grateful to the faculty, the music faculty at Wayne for doing all the research they did because we were able to still do music even amidst the pandemic and we had in-person classes. Um, and so just physically getting away from my hometown really helped me. And I hadn't really wanted to talk to anyone about what had happened to me. Um, but I found some really good friends and my professors are really great people. And I started to find the confidence to tell people. And I was still really close friends with someone from my hometown. And so I finally decided to confide in him. Then he turned around and told my ex and my ex and his mom freaked out on me they went around my whole hometown saying that I'm a liar and that he never touched me and his mom called me when I was home during Christmas break and she threatened me she was like I'm going to the police my son never touched you stop saying these things like she was just threatening me and yeah and I I was talking to one of my close friends from college and I because she's been in some bad relationships too and we'd gotten close and she told me to call one of my professors but it was Christmas Eve and I did not want to bother him and he had a baby on the way and I was like I'm not going to call him right now and she's like just do it trust me and so I texted him and I was like hey I don't want to bother you I know you have a lot going on but Kiana insists that I talk to you about something that's happening right now and 
he called me and talked to me and he was like, let them go to the police. They have nothing on you. He's the one that did those things to you. And like my professor was just really there for me and I never going to be able to repay him for that. Um, that was awesome. And Lexi and Claire, this is amazing. In terms of where you, where are you going to go next? And also triggers, where do you go with triggers and are there any for you, Lexi? When I smell something that reminds me of abuse, how do I? Or music that you like songs? Yeah, music. Or... Yeah. How do we? How do? How do you cope with the triggers? Yeah. Um, so I don't really have any musical triggers or anything like that. Thank God, because I love music, and that would be really hard. <laughs> um, but smell-wise. I don't know exactly what fragrance he wore, but sometimes I smell that and I don't full on get triggered, but it like takes me back a little bit. Um, it's not really necessarily a trigger, but it's more of an after effect, after effect of a trigger. So like when I do get triggered, I do start to go back there and I smell it, like smell the fragrances he wore and like I smell the sweat when he was on top of me and just when you're being intimate or when you're, you know, are there any sort of touches that are triggering for you? What are some physical triggers that you have? I know that for a lot of people, especially if they've experienced some kind of assault in the relationship, um, that that in a new relationship, this can be a trigger is, can you, is that something you feel comfortable talking about? Yeah. Um, basically it's whenever, um, just whenever anyone gets near my um, anus, my but because that's where I was taken advantage of. I, like I said, I was never vaginally raped, but I was anally raped by him, my ex, and it's just, luckily, luckily I can have vag- vaginal sex most of the time and not get triggered because that was not something Eric and I ever really did. But when, you know, someone like my current boyfriend asked about it, like he didn't know all the specifics of what had happened to me. He just knew I was a survivor. I didn't really want to talk about what had happened specifically. Um, so when he asked me about like anal sex and like if we could try it or just, he was curious. I just, like shut down and I remember we were in his dorm room and I was just on his floor like curled in a ball for an hour and I couldn't talk I couldn't move I couldn't look at him like he didn't know what to do he was just like are you okay what can I do to help I'm sorry if I said anything wrong like he just felt so bad and I wanted to tell him that it wasn't his fault but like I was going back to that place and then when he tried to touch me and hug me I freaked out and like kicked him because I just I was back in that place and I didn't want to be touched and it's just like he knows that he has to be careful around that area and around that subject but that's really a lot of it okay so are you are you doing 
anything in terms, I know you're working through some of these things in your relationship, but are you getting, have you gotten any kind of counseling? Have you talked to anyone who can help you gain some sort of perspective on this from a a sort of objective perspective? Um, Are you doing anything like that to kind of heal? I've been trying to get into the counseling services at the school, but unfortunately they're booked up. But I am a part of the Miss America program and I have a title um, and my platform statement, like what I base my whole year on, like fundraising wise and community wise. Um, I called it It's Lame to Victim Blame and it's about helping sexual assault survivors. And uh, on my campus, um, there's not a ton of resources. And like, I'm a really busy person already, but I wanted to do something about it. And so I have been working since August to get a club on campus. And we now have a full executive board. We're trying to work on some events right now. Um, that's actually how I found out about this podcast because I was talking to the take back the night people and they suggested this. Um, but we are officially a recognized club on campus. We're called survivors, not victims. And we've had a few people come and share their stories with us because it's just a safe space. We're going to start doing peer support counseling. We're just, we're a young club right now. So we're trying to get everything in the works, but since we are officially recognized, we will be able to start doing things on campus. Great. That's a, that's amazing. That's awesome. Do you have like a faculty sponsor? You, do you have to have that? Yes. So um, I talked to the Title IX coordinator because he's a he's like a 50 year old man. And he's like, I think it's really cool that you want to do this because like I feel like people don't want to come talk to a 50 year old man. So like having a teenage girl as the head of it, I think would really help. So. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's great work. And um, I know you'll be doing some awesome stuff at Wayne State over the next few years. So that's, that's exciting. To echo and append, Lexi, my gosh, you shared so much and so many different parts of you and parts of your hurt and parts of your healing. I have only one final question for tonight. All the survivors, you are sitting there alive and well. Sometimes we speak with survivors who are ready to not not go on what would you say to them you know sometimes we sit with survivors who say it's just not worth it i've been and you know your own mother partnered you with your abuser right his mother and yes. yeah his mother right how do we hate and not hate and what are your three takeaways two uh, let's just do two what are your best takeaways for our survivors who sit with us on on today's session? What I would say is that I know that it's really hard and I, I'm not going to lie. It's going to be hard for a really long time, but it is worth it on the other side because you can share your story with other people and help other people and it can ignite a fire in you. Like if I just would have given up, I wouldn't have a club on my campus right now helping other people who've been through the same thing. And I just encourage people to keep going because there is light on the other side. There are people out there that will treat you correctly and be there for you and support you. That's awesome. 
Thank you for that. Thank you. It's amazing, Lex. Thank you so much. Claire, anything else for Lexi? I want to thank you for sharing your story and being so open with us. I, I know there's a lot of people out there who are going to hear this and go, that's just what happened to me. And it's so comforting to hear someone else. Um, as much as one doesn't want this to happen to other people, it's comforting in a way to hear someone else's story that's that's similar. And I, you know, you're an incredibly strong and brave person. And what you're doing is turning this into a, um, the energy to make change is, is wonderful. And I thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunity to share. You've also found a partner who has respected you and sat with you. And the sitting, you know, respect is great. We get that. You can you can say a few words and that's respect. But to me, the long-term sit with, that's that, that vow that we say, like, in sickness and health, in good times and bad times. And whether that's a Christian thing or an all-in thing, I think there's a faith partner, a partner in life who sits with us in our pain. And they might also be in pain, right, Lex? Your partner, he may be in pain too. But you two find a way to support each other and say, here's what I can do right now, but I'm all in. I I can do this right now, but I'm going to keep going. And it's, it's, there's no, there's no checkpoint and there's no expiration date on sitting with as a partner who helps us heal and grow. There's not a checkpoint or an expiration date. And what I heard you tell us, our subscribers, is you found a partner who doesn't have expiration dates or checkpoints for you. What? Why do you think he's like that? He a he pronoun, right? He's a he pronoun. Yes. Why do you think he he's willing to go there? And and that one helps so many of our subscribers. What are they looking for? Why did you know he would be willing to do that for you? I knew that he would be willing to do that for me because um, I'm a very upfront person. And before we even got in a relationship, especially a sexual one, I I didn't tell him the full story, like I said, but I told him, you know, I have been sexually assaulted and um it's hard for me to trust people that way. And so it's going like, sometimes I'm just going to freak out for what seems like random reasons. And, and I told him that I'm sorry he has to deal with that. And he just hugged me and he's like, I'm not dealing with it. Like, this is, it's not your fault. I want to be here for you. Um, and he just really loves me in a way that I've never been loved before. And he... I'm interjecting. The best sentence you would say that he gave you, the one one sentence, I am here for you because... What would that film of like? I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to be here for you. What What should we all look for? I will always be here for you. I'm not going to walk away or get upset at you for dealing and coping with these things that you've been through because they're not your fault. That was so, that was brilliant. I think it's fantastic because I, you know, that's, I think that's what every survivor wants to hear from a partner. 
say, I will, I will, something you mentioned, Katie, I will be here with you. I will stand with you. I will, um, um, I'm not Christian, but I know there's a, a particular pr- uh, form of Christianity where they say they will bear witness, right? I will bear witness with you and I will stand with you through this, whatever it is you're going through. And I'll listen to you and no expectations. I love it. And so we round that tonight. Lexi, anything else you want to share with our survivors? Any last message of your brilliance and survivorship and healing journey? Just keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Like keep going on a daily basis. Like Dory, right? Just keep <sighs> swimming. Yeah. All right. Lovely. Lexi, a a million thanks for you for joining us on this podcast. And Claire, always my gratitude for you for sharing the space as co-host. Claire, could you close this out? Certainly can. So to our listeners, you can visit the website, the takebackthenight.org website. If you are in need of resources and support, you can find something there and if it doesn't quite match it may lead you to another resource so please please take advantage of that if you can or reach out to a friend hug your puppy whatever you need Um, and thank you for joining us we're grateful to all of you who have joined us for this episode of dear katie's survivor stories If you need support but don't know where to find it, please visit takebackthenight.org for a list of resources. You can reach out to our legal support hotline, uh, connect with other survivors through our social media, and you can also help other survivors simply by subscribing to our podcast and sharing it far and wide. Please consider posting it on your own social media with some remark about what it's done to help you, and make sure to follow us on ours. Dear Katie is completely produced by all of us, an amazing group of volunteers. We care so much about this cause. The paycheck isn't what we're doing for. Thank you to all of our volunteers. Thank you to our listeners. And thank you for our survivors, wherever you are, for being present and joining us in this process of growth, strength, and healing. Always remember, self-care is essential to healing and to thriving.